we're going to open the service, and I'm going to turn the service over to Brother Demand. Amen. Are you glad to be here this morning? Amen. Amen. There's lots of hospitals where people are at, and we can be glad we're not there. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I always uh, try to keep time, keep an eye on the time when I, whenever I speak or preach, and uh, I, when I usually get towards the end, I start looking at the clock, but it doesn't do any good unless you look at it at the beginning. <laughs> so I like to look at the clock at the beginning, but we just want to mind the Lord. I love each of you an awful lot. And this is a hard message to preach. It's because I love you. <laughs> I've always said I don't, don't uh, have any right to preach a message to people I haven't prayed and cried for. And I've spent some time in prayer for you. I appreciate you coming. appreciate you being at camp. Amen. It's good to be in God's house. Let's stand and ask the Lord to have His way in this service. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to be together. Yes. As has been shared, we're thankful for the fellowship. We're thankful for the good music and the good singing. Uh, we're thankful for all the good times we've had, the jokes and the fun and the sports and the games. Uh, but, Lord, all that wouldn't matter unless there were times when you would meet with us and that you would guide and direct our hearts to truth that speaks to our soul. And we ask that you would give us ears to hear what your Spirit has to say to the church today. And give us obedient hearts. That's our desire, is to live well-pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles and turn to uh, Numbers chapter 32. Numbers chapter 32, verse number 23. That will be our key verse this morning. There's going to be a key passage in Joshua, which we'll visit here just shortly. I want us to look at Numbers chapter 32, verse number 23. I want to speak to you this morning on the other side of sin's billboard. The other side of sin's billboard. We drive down the road. You may even find things on the internet. And I noticed that social media is becoming more saturated with ads and advertisements and trying to promote and trying to peddle things, if you will. It just kind of reminds me of the carnivals. Have you ever been to a carnival? Anybody been to a festival or a carnival or a fair? And uh, you walk down through there and you hear the guy saying, hey, come on over here. Toss the ping pong ball in the bottle and see if you can win a goldfish. And there's all kinds of stuff that you can win. And some of those you can win. And some, some of those have been scientifically proven that they're just a gimmick. They're just there to get your money. Take your loose change. And uh, there's a lot of people who are peddling the devil's items, the devil's uh, sin. Uh, and they won't tell you the full repercussions. And so I want us to take a moment to look at the other side of Sin's billboard. We drive down the road. Uh, we see the advertisements. I saw one on the way down here to camp on 23 as I was driving south from Circle or Chillicothe area. And it said, uh, a close friend. And, the, and it showed a picture of a beer bottle up there. And I think it was Bush Light or Core Light or whatever it was. And it said, a close friend. And I thought about that. And it's like, wow, what a close friend that would be. Uh, my grandfather was called to preach as a boy preacher, but he was raised in a home that he didn't really have a father figure because his father was taken up with the bottle. His father had a good job, a good paying job, and he made plenty of money, enough to provide for his family and, and whatever else that he would need, but on his way home, he would drink it away. And there were many times that my grandpa would have to go and hide in the dog's box. The dog's name was Rocky. And my grandpa is a young lad, his name was John, and they always called him Johnny, but Johnny would have to hide in Rocky's dog box to keep Daddy from beating him up because when Daddy would come around and Rocky knew that Daddy was mean and going to beat up Johnny and he was drunk and intoxicated with liquor, Rocky would bare his teeth and defend little Johnny. Now, that's a sad situation, that's a sad picture to think about where a son or a daughter has to hide, has to be protected in some other way, has to stand up and has to defend themselves against their own parent. 
I've said different times that we go to the abortion clinics and you've seen the booth back there. You can find more motherly and fatherly love at a zoo or maybe up in Alaska with a mother bear and her cub than you can sometimes at the abortion clinic. Sometimes out in the places of sin where parents don't even have any regard for the children and, and just sin brings so much chaos into the life and takes people where they would never intend to go and we see those billboards we see maybe a, a camel or marlboro whatever the the cigarette company name is and it shows a fine looking young man he's in a cowboy hat and in the scenery is a big ranch and just looks like the the multitude of opportunities for a young person and there he is maybe his shirt's unbuttoned and he looks like he just come from the gym just the picture imperfect of health and he's got sucking on one of those, what I call a cancer stick. But it doesn't show the other side of the billboard. It doesn't show the repercussions of sin. It doesn't show him 20, 30 years down the road when, when he's coughing his lungs out. Or if you ever heard Marshall Smart preach, you remember him referring to the times in his life when he would wake up in the middle of the night, he was so poor, he didn't have uh, money for cigarettes, and he'd wake up in the middle of the night and he'd go out on the street corners and he would look along the edge of the sidewalk just to see if there was any uh, little cigarette that somebody didn't smoke the last little bit out of it. He just had a craving. We had a, a friend that lived not too far down the road from us in Circleville where I lived and uh, he graduated with my dad. They were in high school together there at the Circleville High School and uh, he was a track runner, athletic, he had big lungs and he could outrun everybody. He just, you know how some people they get all winded and they have to stop and take a break? Well he didn't have those moments. God blessed him with a good body and healthy lungs, and he pushed and pushed himself until he was uh, one of the top in the, the uh, running track in Ohio and held the record for quite some time. But then later in life, as a result of his smoking habit, he couldn't even go out to his mailbox and collect his mail. We were out there one day at, to, at his house, and my dad said, uh, my dad said, Zimmerman, he said, tell... Uh, some of the Anthony girls probably remember Zimmerman. He raised rabbits and they would go and get the manure for their gardens. That probably brings back some memories. Don't get too distracted there. But one time my dad said, Zimmerman, he said, tell my boys what smoking's done for you. Tell them, uh, tell them how it's blessed your life. And he said, oh, boys, he, he preached a good message. He said, oh, boys, he's like, you don't want to get into smoking. He talked about how he was into track, just like what I explained to you. And he said, now, he said, I get to coughing. <laughs> And he started coughing right there. And that wasn't, wasn't prompted. He can't hardly breathe. He's passed away now of lung cancer, emphysema. And he couldn't even breathe. He'd have to hang on to something as he leaned over to try to catch his breath. He said, now I can't even go out and collect my mail, my mailbox. And he lived, his mailbox was probably not much farther from here to the dorm. And he would jump on his mower and ride out to get his mail. And, and prior to that, just sprinting out there and sprinting back would not have been any problem. But sin, the other side of sin's billboard, the fine print, if you will, the devil doesn't want you to know that. He doesn't want you to know the repercussions. I thought about that this morning, and I thought I would bring something. I dug around and found a little bottle I keep with me. Some of you know I have background in the medical field. Just, just a little bit of background, I carry some things around with me that might be essential in the case of emergency. And I got one of these bottles. How many tell me what this bottle is? What is it? It's ibuprofen. Give her, a, give her a treat there. We're also, just as a side note, we're keeping an eye. I have some helpers. We're keeping an eye on the quiet seats. One boy, one girl. So there's some treats later. But can somebody else tell me what, what an ibuprofen does? What's it good for? Uh, Taking away pain. Give him one. Yeah. Taking away pain. Let me see. Let me see here what it's good for. It says it can, uh, it can give you hives. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You take them when you want to get hives. It says uh, it can cause shock, facial swelling, skin reddening, asthma and wheezing. You want some asthma? Take some of these. That's what you know, right? It says rashes and blisters. It also talks on there, it says about stomach bleeding. If you're ever bored and you need some stomach bleeding, just take some of these. They're good for stomach bleeding. Well, that's not what most people know it for. Most people just know it for what the front of it says, ibuprofen. It says in big letters, pain reliever, 
and fever reducer. Now, I like that. That sounds better, doesn't it? But you have to go on the back side, and you have to grab this little tab that you almost need tweezers to grab a hold of, and then you need your microscope to read it. They don't put that on the front, do they? And it's only by law that they will print this label on here, the warning label, of the repercussions that you might incur from taking too much of this. I, I, uh, many of you know that I've had a bad motorcycle wreck back in 2011 and almost died. God spared my life. My right leg has been rebuilt, rebuilt with titanium rods and screws. I got two broken screws in my knee. The Lord has blessed me. I had to learn how to walk again. I almost bled to death on the scene of the motorcycle wreck that happened. I was on my way home from church and an SUV pulled out in front of me. And uh, I threw my leg over the motorcycle that day or that evening and uh, thought that when I hopped off, I would be at my destination. We were doing construction at the time and I had plans to go home after church and get to bed early, wake up at 4.30 in the morning, have my coffee and devotions, work out, get a shower and be ready for work and head down to work around daybreak. That was our schedule at the time. But little did I know that consequence would have it that that wasn't going to be my schedule. I lay there in the hospital bed. Moments later, after they uh, gathered me up off the ground, after they uh, took me by ambulance to the nearby hospital, after they life-lighted me to the trauma center and entered me in as a Category 1 in the trauma center and the ICU unit, and uh, I was laying there on the bed, and God spoke very clearly and asked me a question. He asked me this. He said, if you died... Right then, when you had your wreck, would you have been happy with the way that you spent your life? Now, I need to explain a little bit. I wasn't out in sin. I wasn't down at the beer joint. I wasn't visiting the strip club. I wasn't smoking around the back alley somewhere or what now seems to be popular. People tell me that vaping is the popular thing now, and people do a lot of vaping. I've even found out that people in the holiness movement, people in churches, the people that I could name the names of, and you would know them, have secret habits of smoking around the corners and back alleys and through the week when they're not at church, when they're not in their suit and tie, when they're not representing Christ, maybe on the street in evangelism. I wasn't involved in those things. I was just involved in being a selfish Christian. Just involved in being careful, making sure that I myself wouldn't get into sin, but just watching out for number one. Just enjoying the, the good paycheck that I would get. Just enjoying life at its best. I, I'm a man of many hobbies. I believe in good, clean fun. You, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that doesn't enjoy good, clean fun as much as I do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we've got to make sure we don't get distracted. This life is very short. You see, and eternity is very long. And that's what it makes it so important where your eternal destiny will be. And I'm here to warn you, children... And it sounds funny that I would say, children, I'll be 30 in November. I'm not too far ahead of you. But I've walked through the cemetery, and there are headstones in there my size and your size, and some a lot smaller. Nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. Nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. This life is so short, you've got to make it count. You've got to make it count. It'll be gone before you know it. The devil doesn't like to show the other side of the billboard of sin. He doesn't like to show the person all bent over and coughing of cigarettes, their teeth falling out. He doesn't like to show the broken family, the hurt and the pain. My grandpa describes a picture when he was a child. He, he said at one point, he said he doesn't know how. It was almost in the middle of depression, but his mom was a saver and she saved different items, potatoes, things to make rolls. She had different food saved up in one meal. It wasn't necessarily a special event or, or a holiday, but one, one meal, she got everything together, and they had all the trimmings. I mean, it was probably not even as half as good as what we've been having over there in the cafeteria. You've been enjoying those meals? Can you say amen? Amen. Even though you're still awake. <laughs> It wasn't near as, as, near as fancy as that, but he's, he recalls the account of his mom preparing all of that and, and standing back waiting for uh, her husband to get home. And she's standing there off to the side of the kitchen with a towel on her hands and just kind of wringing her hands and waiting for her husband to come home, waiting to hear those words that he's so appreciative of his wife and her faithfulness and 
and how she's just been a saver and how she's prepared this meal and she worked and cooked all day long. And he comes in drunk. My grandpa said whenever he would bite his tongue, it means he was fixing to beat somebody up. And he'd come in. He took one look at the kids sitting around the table, one look at her, and one look at the stuff on the table, and he grabbed it up, slung it on the ground. Why? Sin. Sin. The devil doesn't want you to know the fine print, the repercussions, the side effects. Oh, yes, he wants you to think that alcohol is going to be your best friend while you got money, while you got health. But what about happens when your money's gone, when your health is gone, when your friends are gone? Where is sin going to be for you then? What are the repercussions? What's on the other side of that billboard the devil doesn't like us to know? I'm going to read the passage of Scripture here. Numbers chapter 32, verse number 23. There's conditions are being set here. The Lord says, but if ye will not do so... The context is here, he said, you should serve me, you should follow me. But he said, if you will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. Dear friend, if there's only one thing that you can be sure of today, be sure that sin will find you out. Be very sure that sin will find you. You may not be sure of a lot of things, and as was shared by the veteran the other day, you may not be sure of your place in life. You may not be sure of your calling in life. You may feel a little unsure in the teenage years. It's just kind of just that. It's the time when, when the devil is going to be fighting you maybe the hardest. It's the time when you have some of the biggest decisions coming up. You're going to be choosing probably your career, which direction you're going to go in life. And I hope that you've used this uh, church camp as a time to choose who you're going to serve. Amen? Amen. Spiritual things. But probably before too long, in the next 10, 15 years, you'll probably be choosing a spouse. Some big decisions. And the devil is attacking you and I. He's fighting, especially the young people, when they have to make these big decisions, and he's really trying hard to hide those repercussions. Mm -hmm. For sale, take the whole bottle. The devil's out to trick people, and he doesn't want you to know the details. He doesn't want to know, he doesn't want you to know what sin is going to cost you. Let's turn over to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. You're probably familiar with the story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. How many remembers that story? How many remembers what they did? What did they do to conquer the city? At the end, yep, they marched around the wall, they blew the trumpets, and God conquered the battle for them. Amen. We're all familiar with that story, but I want us to look at a man that maybe we're not as familiar with, a man that the devil would like to just kind of obscure from our view. It's kind of like the passage that I preached about not too long ago at Sister Bloomfield's church up here on the corner about remember Lot's wife. A very short verse, but a testimony. Remember Lot's wife. Lot's wife wasn't, uh, her name wasn't even shared. She was just known as Lot's wife. But yet a testimony is there of an example of what not to do. Can I just tell you that your life will be an example to others? People are watching you. You say, well, I'm young preacher. Nobody looks up to me. Let me tell you, every person has a circle of influence. That's right. You have a circle of influence that you may not be aware of, but you have a circle of influence. Mm -hmm. Every person has a circle of influence, and you are influencing people throughout your life. And when you stand before God on Judgment Day, you'll not only give an account for yourself, but you'll give an account for that influence. Your sphere, your circle of influence, and, and how you influence people, whether for good or for evil. This story 
is written in the Scriptures so that we would have an example of what not to do. Of what not to do. <laughs> you see those books every time I go to the library. It seems like I'm seeing those books. Uh, maybe it's about computer programming. It's in the computer programming department. It says, Computer Programming for Dummies. And then you may go over and you say, uh, How to Teach Your Pet. I don't know, pick on my sister, but she likes reading books, and I think Ruthie does as well, about how to train animals. And we, I've seen books laying around the house, How to Teach Your Pet Obedience for Dummies. I'm waiting for the book, or maybe I need to write a book that says, Dummies for Dummies. <laughs> and they try to explain things, try to help us. But you know what? God doesn't want our life to be an example of what not to do. There's a lot better things that you can do with your life than to be an example of what not to do. There's many stories shared in safety classes. I've been in safety classes and work classes and training classes, and there's many people who would say, this is what not to do. This is how not to get a finger chopped off. This is how not to lose an eye. And, and it has maybe a, a picture of a person with a patch over their eye, and this man is telling a story about what happened. Anytime I see a person with some appendages missing, some toes, some, some fingers, a, a piece of ear, I have a friend that's got a piece of his ear missing, I say, man, what happened? I want to know what happened because I don't want to lose a piece of my ear. I don't want to lose one of my eyes. You only got one head. My, my grandpa used to say, he said, you can get by with a wooden leg, but you can't get by with a wooden head. <laughs> you better protect that thing. You better use your head for more than a hair rack. <laughs> Aiken's life is an example of what not to do. Of what not to do. We know the background story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. But there's more details towards the end of the story, and we'll pick up reading here at verse number 16. Joshua chapter 6, verse number 16. He says, And it came to pass at the seventh time, when the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city, and this city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab, the harlot, shall live. She and all that are in her, that are with her in, her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you all know the story about the spies that went to scope out Jericho, the walled city. Just a place that seemed unconquerable to every other foe. But when the Lord's on your side, all things are possible. Amen. They went to scout out, and Har or, uh, Rahab was the harlot that gave place, that she protected. She gave a safe haven to the spies of Israel. And so he's saying, hey, remember the promise to Rahab? Go in and save her. Verse number 18, and ye, in any wise, pay attention here, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourself accursed when ye take of the accursed thing. And make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. We know Achan's background. And I need to point out here that this is not just talking about someone who's just a heathen. This is not just a, this is not a message Focus towards the heathen out there. We, we talked about the 1040 window and people who haven't heard the gospel. Achan was not by far one who had never heard the gospel. He was far from that. Rather, he was there. He was there in the coming out of Egypt. He was there when the plagues were given to Pharaoh until he released God's people to let them go. Achan was there. Achan was there throughout the wilderness when God provided the manna. Achan was there when the cloud and the pillar led them through the wilderness. And God guided them and provided for them. And, and he was there when Moses struck the rock. And when Moses was supposed to speak to the rock, Achan was there. Achan saw it all. Achan was like a lot of us. He was among the number. He was among God's number. He was among God's people. He was there. He was, he was well learned on who the true God was. He was serving God. Amen? He wasn't back in Egypt. 
He wasn't along the way of the wilderness. He wasn't one that turned away in the wilderness and said, I'm done following God. But he was among God's number. We first need to understand that he was among God's number. That's important because we're here at camp today. Amen? We all identify as being Christians. I don't doubt that. You came, you came to camp. There's a lot of other things you could have been doing. There's, it probably would have been easier to stay home and sleep in. Amen? Sometimes maybe you want to sleep. Well, that's all right. <laughs> There's a place to sleep. There's a time to sleep. Don't sleep right now. Don't sleep right now. I, I, oh, boy. That make me jealous. And then I want to sleep. Don't sleep. <laughs> We're here because we love the Lord. We're here because we want to serve Him. We're here because we want to identify as being God's people. And Achan, firstly, was God's. He was among God's people. Point number two, I'd like us to look. Verse number 16 through 19, Achan knew right from wrong. Again, Achan, just to recap a little bit, Achan wasn't a heathen. Achan wasn't one that didn't know to do better. The Bible says in James 4, 17, that to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. This is not talking about heathen people who have never heard the gospel. This is not talking about anybody who's never heard the way, who's never been in the light. Achan knew right from wrong. We just read the passage here where Joshua stands up and makes this announcement. They're going to blow the trumpets. They're going to shout. God is going to deliver those in Jericho into the hands of the Israelites. There's a battle that's going to be won without even a gunfire, without even the clash of a sword. God is fighting the battle right here where God is working. A miracle is taking place in Achan is right there. He's a first-hand observer. He's a first-eye witness of what happened there in the battle of Jericho. And he also knew right from wrong. It wasn't like he was off someplace else when Joshua was speaking and said, be careful not to keep yourself from the curse thing. And somebody said, hey, Achan, did you hear what he said? I couldn't quite hear what he said. What did he say? No, Achan was there. Everybody heard. He knew right from wrong. That wasn't the problem. It wasn't because he didn't know what to do. It, doesn't, it wasn't because he didn't know what sin was. And the blessed Holy Spirit is faithful to our hearts. If we'll get quiet, and still enough to seek Him and to ask His guidance in our life. He'll be faithful. He's always found faithful. There's not going to be a soul that stands on Judgment Day and points a bony finger at God and says, Your Spirit wasn't faithful with me. For the Holy Spirit is striving with mankind. There's going to come a day when the door will be shut, but today is the day of salvation. Thank the Lord. Achan knew right from wrong. Thirdly, Achan believed that he could get by. See, there is the problem. We would also find the same situation in the book of Genesis when Eve took of the forbidden fruit. When she reached out and took of the forbidden fruit, and you say, well, preacher, we don't, we don't actually have fruit on a tree that's sinful to eat necessarily, where God says, don't eat this, this is sin. I say, no, we may not have to reach out and take hold, but it's much easier. Sometimes it's just the click of a mouse. That brings that forbidden fruit right up to our lips, ready to take a bite. Sometimes it's a little place where you can go maybe on social media, on Instagram or Facebook, and it's just a click away. Sin is just a click away. It's just right there. You may have friends even that you think are your friends, and they may offer you and say, hey, try a little smoke of this, man. Try this out. Try, try a little sip of that. See how you like it. Just try. Oh, yeah, just try it once, man. Just one time. Where is that going to lead you? The devil doesn't want you to know. Achan believed he could get by. Speeding on up here to verse number 21 of chapter 7. He thought he could get by. This is the reaccount of the story. We're kind of fast-forwarding in the passage. I'm not going to read the whole passage to you. But it's Achan that is rehearsing his account at the time he's found out. This is fast-forwarding a little bit to try to find some of the details here. But he says, uh, this, these are the words of Achan speaking. He says, When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. 
You see, Achan believed that he could get by. The devil's biggest lie is that you can get by. Just remember, that kind of rhymes with itself. The biggest lie is that you can get by. The biggest lie is that you won't really reap the repercussions of sin. That you're not going to really experience the consequences of sin. As the serpent spoke to Eve, Are you? You won't surely die. You're not really going to die. The Lord says you're going to die, but you're not really going to die. That, those repercussions aren't really real. And first he starts to undermine what we believe. One person asked me, he said, uh, I got a question for you. I said, what's that? He said, if people know to do right, why do, they all, why do they do wrong? Why do people even do wrong? Why do people even sin? If they know the right way, they, they know the pathway that God has for them, and God is always faithful to show that. If they have the, the faithful pathway in front of them and they have been told the repercussions of sin, why do they sin? Why do they do wrong? Well, that's the age-old question. That's the age-old question. Why do people do wrong? Well, we could do right. Why do we do wrong? Well, the answer is this. He believed that he could get by. He wasn't really believing Joshua, or in this case, Joshua was being a mouthpiece for the Lord. He wasn't really believing the Lord that there were really going to be repercussions for his sin. He wasn't really convinced that he was going to get caught. Notice here, he tells Joshua, and before the people at that point, he had to confess because he had been found out. He even admits that he has sinned against the Lord, that he saw the items, that he coveted them, Means he desired them, lusted after them. People think that lust is just always sexual desires. It's not always sexual desires. It's fleshly desires, sinful desires. Lust, when it is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death, it says in the book of James. There's a conception that happens, a conception. There's a whole truth behind that conception. A sin baby, if you will. Conception. Something happens. Sin starts at conception, if you will, in the heart when the heart no longer believes God, but it believes that it can sin against God and get by. But you know, Achan knew it was wrong. Achan wasn't oblivious to the fact that it was sin to take of the cursed thing. It had been very well explained to him. Actually, it's pointed out in his actions of what he did. It says that he hid the stuff. He didn't just put on that Babylon garment and say, Wow, boys, look what I got. <laughs> look at this. Check out this wedge of gold. Woo! But he hid it. He put it away. He hid it. He knew it was wrong. The Bible talks a lot about children of light and children of darkness. You notice that? And I know most of the time it's talking about spiritual things. But there's a little kid song, and I don't know if I can remember all of it. It's been years ago since I sung it. And it says, walk not in darkness as children of the night. Walk even as Jesus walked. Walk as children of the light. But might I also point out to you that a lot of sins are committed in the darkness? A lot, there's some, you'll find out some strip clubs and some beer joints only open up after 11 p.m. at night. 11 p.m. to maybe 5 in the morning. Maybe 3 a.m. or something like that. There's a lot of wickedness that's committed in the darkness. And why is that? It's because people know it's wrong and they're trying to hide it. If they was proud of it, why don't they do it during the daylight? Why do they want to be... Well, you ever... Uh, I, I went to a place, my wife and I were looking for a place to have a reception, a reception hall there in Dayton. And we we're just new to the area and I started driving around and looking at places that looked like uh, there was a place where we could have a reception. And I walked in this one place and I was like, you know, this looks like a pretty good sized building. And I walked in there, and I opened the door and walked in, and I was like, man, where's everything? And then I realized, my eyes adjusted. It was a sunny day outside. My eyes adjusted, and the lights are dim. The air is thick with smoke. And lo and behold, there's a bar set up over on the corner, and a bartender over here. And wickedness going on right there during the day, but they wanted to have the lights down. They just kind of wanted to hide in the darkness. There's a lot of things that people will do in the darkness that they wouldn't do in the light. Are you awake? 
Stepping on some toes, maybe. Take your steel toe boots off. One person said, if, if you get your toes stomped on, move your toes. <laughs> There's a lot of things that people do in the darkness, the cover of darkness, that they wouldn't do in broad daylight. There's a lot of things that maybe you young people would do if you thought you could get by with it. There's probably a lot of things that maybe you would be more tempted to do in the darkness of the night than you would standing up here doing service time when everybody's looking at you. That's a game changer, isn't it? And so it was for Aiken. He knew it was wrong, but he was trying to hide it. He even admits that he was trying to hide it. He chose to sin. He chose. He knew right from wrong, but he believed he could do it and get by. And if the devil can convince you that you'll get by, that you won't have repercussions for sin, you'll find yourself taking a pathway of sin. It's just as simple as that. If you buy into the devil's lies, you allow him to get in your mind, and I'll warn you young people that you can't be winning in your heart if you're losing in your mind. The mind is the spiritual battlefield, and, and if you just give the devil free run in your mind and let him inject any thoughts and you just... Bring them on in, and you host on those, and you let them churn and build, and you're just thinking about wicked stuff, and you're lusting, and you're thinking about sin, and all these things that you could do. You know, that's why God destroyed the earth in Noah's day, because he said the thoughts of the people were constantly wicked, constantly evil. That's like all they could think about. They just let the devil have free run. You want to know what kind of uh, cool things happen? And some of you may be familiar with technology and stuff like Elon Musk and science and, and stuff like that. And, and those two guys, those engineers will get together and they'll get in a lab and they'll put their heads together and they'll come up with some pretty cool stuff. <laughs> I read just the other day, I, I found it on Facebook, I think somebody said, what are all these 59 or 59 or 60 uh, stars going across the skyline? They all look like stars, or what are they, satellites, or what are they? And then I found out that this uh, Elon Musk guy, he's, he's a real bright guy, I guess he's uh, operation of SpaceX and stuff, and he's putting these satellites up there. He's wanting to create a network of, I forget how many thousands of satellites for cell phones, for global cell phone coverage. So when you come down in the sticks of southern Ohio, you still have good cell phone coverage. But all kinds of stuff, they put their heads together, and technology is promoted. When things like Google Translate came along, Though it's a blessing, though it helps us spread the gospel, or as Micah is using even the, the Translator Bible app to be able to give this uh, new convert, Amina, that was the Muslim lady, she's able to send her their scripture references, and this Amina can go on the Bible app and listen to the Bible in her own language. This, this lady uh, can barely speak uh, any English. She can't write her own language or any other language. We're really blessed we can communicate, but when things like Google Translate came along, Though it's good and it helps promote good, it's a tool that also the devil will use. And when people get their heads together, if they just turn themselves over to the devil. They just let the devil have free, free run of their mind. They just, they just imagine things. They're just like no resistance. It's just like a, a horse with no saddle, no bridle, no cowboy on it. That's not very tame, is it, Ruthie? <laughs> That's dangerous. I rode a pony one time, and I think there were too many of us on there. It was my cousins, and I think there were about three of us on there. We didn't have a saddle. We didn't have a stirrups or a ropes or anything of anything. And it got a little excited, and we all were left on the ground sitting and thinking about our ride. <laughs> but there was nothing to restrain the power. There was nothing to restrain the energy of that pony. In a like manner, if you just let the devil have free run of your mind. He will convince you that you could do things and get by, and therein lies the problem. When you no longer believe God's word, you no longer believe that you're going to face the repercussions, which it says in, in Numbers, we just read it, that your sin will find you out. You may deceive your parents. You may deceive the preacher. I've been deceived. If you deceive me, you're not accomplishing much. I've been deceived so many times, it's not even an accomplishment for people to deceive me. You can deceive your parents, you can deceive the preacher, you can deceive me, you can deceive everybody else in your life, but when you get down to judgment day, you're going to give an account for everything, every deed, every word. 
the thought and the intent of the heart, the things that you would do if you could get by with them. The Lord knows that and He's going to hold you accountable. But you know what? Regardless of Achan knowing right from wrong, regardless from Achan believing that he could do it and get by, regardless of Achan hiding it really well, I mean, it doesn't seem like anybody else in his family knew about it. He was probably married. His wife didn't even know about it. He had this secret life going on. His wife didn't even know about it. His children didn't even know about it. His priest, if you will, didn't even know about it. His family, the network community of Christians. You might say the people of camp were deceived. He was such a good deceiver. He was really good at it. But yet, his sin found him out. His sin found him out. He didn't believe that it would cost him, but it did. It did. Look here in chapter 7, verse number 4 and 5. After the battle of Jericho, Achan was still keeping this secret. He still had this stuff hidden under his tent. He still had this double life going on. And he says, So there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men. They went up to this city, Ai. They were going on. They had conquered Jericho. God was leading them on to other battles. The people around you may be trying to gain ground spiritually. The people in camp may be trying to gain ground spiritually, and your sin may be holding them back. You may think, well, preacher, I'm the only one that's distracting. If I, if I lay my soul in hell, I, I'm the only one that's going to be affected by that. But no, no, your circle of influence will be affected by that. Those around you that's trying to serve the Lord will be affected by that. They went up to this place of Ai, 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai, it says. Verse number 5 of chapter 7, it says, And the men of Ai smote them, about thirty and six men. For they chased them from before the gate. Chased them off. These people who were courageous men, these people who were doing things for God and taking God at His word. Look at the latter part of verse 5. It says there, the hearts of the people melted and they became as water. They became really troubled. What happened? Lord, you were helping us. Lord, you were giving us the strength. Wow, God, in camp we've had some good services. And haven't we? Amen. Wow, God's been moving and, and Brother Steller's been preaching the truth and God's been speaking to my heart and then now what's happened? What's happened? We're troubled. What's going on? You may go from camp and you say, Wow, Lord, you are working. What happened? And the answer is that sin is in the camp. Sin in the camp. But see, Achan was still deceived and still thought he was getting by. But who did it cost? It cost others. It cost these 36 men. The bloodshed of 36 men because of his sin. His sin wasn't just any sin. It wasn't just Doing a sin. But if you read the fine print here, and what we just read, you understand that the, the things that Achan took belonged to God. They were supposed to be dedicated to the Lord. They were the Lord's things. It explains here later in this chapter that he had stolen, and he had stolen from the Lord. <laughs> I was uh, ushering our church back home for quite a while. It was a small church, so it wasn't much of an accomplishment, I guess. Don't... I don't think it was any great high position. There was only a few of us in number. But different people asked me, and even as a, as a young teenager, they trusted me with the money, and somebody ever asked me, said, were you ever tempted to take money out of the offering plate? And I said, buddy, <laughs> we're, we're tempted to do all kinds of stuff. But I said, buddy, I said, have you ever seen what happens when you steal money from the bank, the repercussions? I don't think I want to steal from God. <laughs> I don't want to steal the Lord's money. I don't want to shortchange God on the things that are His. I want to have the ladies to pass some of these things out. We're handing out some flyers. Got a few different things. I want to touch just for a moment on abstinence. You know what abstinence is? Say, what is that? A new kind of food? What is that? A new Xbox game or something? No, it's called saving yourself for marriage. 
saving your body for your spouse. Not, not the person that you're engaged to. Not saving it for your girlfriend or your boyfriend, but saving it for when you get married. This is not bragging rights. This is just giving God the glory. Mm -hmm. I'll be 30 in November. My wife is just seven months younger than I am. And we got married and we were virgins when we got married. That's good. And we thank the Lord for that. Amen. We have no regrets. Well, you say, well, you just, you just didn't have temptation to go out and say, oh, yes, there were many times as a young man that the devil set up situations like Joseph that I could have easily slipped into it and maybe even like Achan hid under the tent. Just put the accursed thing under the tent. Just keep it hidden. But I'm here to tell you that if you determine to follow God, he will give you the strength and there's no regrets when you follow God. That's not to shame anybody who's given their virginity away because you can have a new virginity starting today, starting now. Maybe you've made some decisions in the past. You can surrender that at the cross. You leave it at the cross like the one song says. You can accept the pure shed blood of Jesus Christ and forgiveness for your sins and forgive yourself. And God has a best for you. Amen? You may have made some unwise decisions in the past, but God wants you to save yourself for your spouse. Take your sunglasses off. We're in church. God wants you to save the things that is for your spouse and it's for God and it's for a holy purpose. You know, of all the relationships that there are in life, there's friend-to-friend there's -friend relationships, there's co-worker relationships, there's neighbor relationships, there's uh, guy buddy relationships and the buddies and the guys like to go out and do things and I used to have guys I used to like to dirt bike with and fish with and fly RC airplanes with and play airsoft and paintball with and there, there's good guy friends uh, to have, there's girls and, and the girls you have, uh, your girlfriends that you enjoy hanging out with and pen palling back and forth and talking and uh, all kinds of the things that you can enjoy together but of all those relationships God has chosen one, which is the marriage between one man and one woman, to exemplify his relationship with the church. And the devil is out to destroy that. The devil is out to destroy it. And you say, well, how is the devil out to destroy it? Well, he's not only destroying marriages. He's not only destroying families and homes because he doesn't want there to be any examples of godly homes for you and I to look at and say, wow, how should our relationship be with Christ? Because he doesn't want any godly homes around. So the devil's constantly fighting. One prayer that I pray many times when we request prayer for missionaries is that God would protect their families. God would protect their children. Because the devil's always constantly trying to drive wedges in and, and destroy relationships. And how can he do that but with a pre-attack on gender identity? Young men... Talk to you for a second. If you don't know that you're a man, and you say, well, I'm just a boy. No. <laughs> if you don't know that you're a male, if God has designed you to be a man, how are you going to be a husband? How? How are you going to be a father if you don't even know if you're a man or not? Ladies, let me talk to you for just a second. How are you going to be a mother? How are you going to be a wife? The way God designed it to be, if you don't know if you're a woman. If you don't know if you're female. And now you see why the devil is attacking that so much. He wants to break it down at the very best because families won't be able to come together and formulate. He wants to attack procreation. We see that he not only attacks gender identity so then people can't get together and have godly families because he doesn't want there to be the example there. But he wants uh, two men to get together or two women to get together or one man and five women and polygamy and all this wickedness, all this wicked perversion. It's bringing God's judgment on America. We're seeing demonic forces being poured out on the United States soil like only missionaries of days gone by fought with. Darkness, powers of the wicked one because we're shedding innocent blood, because we're putting our blessing on homosexuality and pornography. America is one of the number one producers and consumers of pornography among all the heathen nations. We want God's blessing back. 
Amen. Amen. If we want God's blessing back, we got to do it God's way. Not the devil's way, but God's way. Amen? He's attacking the marriage. He's attacking the little babies. Destroying the natural affection and natural love. Achan's sin cost others. I just read to you about the 36 lives that it took. But we're going to get into it here, and it kind of leads into the next point, that Achan's sin cost his own life. And not only his life, but his soul, his eternal soul. Dear friend, you're, you're not, you don't have a soul. You are the soul, and you have a body. The real you is the real you, the real soul down inside that's going to spend eternity somewhere. When you, like one old person said to me, they said, well, you know, my eyes are growing dim. And my ears are becoming dull of hearing. And my members of my body aren't working too well. No, sister, I'm not talking about you. Don't try to run off and leave us. Yeah, there's still plenty of spiritual work to be done. We want to run as long as we can. But one old person told me, he said, I think my body's about to kick me out. I think I'm about to get evicted from my physical home here on earth. But the real you keeps on living. There was a time when you were not. There was a time when you didn't exist, but there will never be another time when you don't exist. You will exist for all eternity. And this sin not only cost Achan's soldiers, Achan's friends in the army, 36 of their lives were shed. And not only troubled of the 3,000 men that weren't killed, that ran back in their hearts, were melted and they became as water and they became fearful and they, they didn't understand why they were conquered and God was blessing so much. It cost Achan's pastor some confusion. In a sense, Achan's pastor was Joshua. He was the leader. God-ordained leader and spokesperson and voice and mouthpiece for the Lord. And Joshua was confused as to why they did not win the battle. And you'll find in verse number 10 and 11 where Joshua is on his face. Oh, God! What's the matter? Why have we been losing the battles? Why is the devil gaining ground on the young people? Why are we not winning? We're trying to be obedient to you. We're trying to do camp like you've orchestrated it to be. We're trying to be obedient. We're being sensitive to your voice. And why, oh God? What is the problem? Where is the need at? Are we doing something wrong? We need old-fashioned revival. And God speaks and says there's sin in the camp. Sin in the camp. Where is the sin at? This is only for demonstrational purposes, okay? I'm not, this is not prophetic at all. Just to demonstrate how it happened. He goes, Joshua goes before the people and he said, there's an accursed thing that's been taken. Someone in, within the camp, someone within the Israelite camp has partook of the accursed thing. They've disobeyed God. I want you to come forward and confess who it is. And everybody's quiet. And then he says, it, it's not just someone here on the campground premises. It's not just of the people who are over in the cafeteria fixing the meal that we're going to eat pretty soon. I haven't forgot about meals. It's not just somebody over there. It's not just somebody maybe working in the dorms or, or somebody running to town to get supplies. But it's someone within this tabernacle. And it's real quiet. Nobody admits anything. Finally, he says, it's someone maybe in this middle section. And it's really quiet. And then he says it's someone in that last pew back there of the three girls. And it stays real quiet. And it gets so detailed that they pick out Achan. And they say, come forward. Tell us what you've done. Tell us what's happened. Tell us what you thought you could do and get by. Tell us what it is that's cost us this battle, losing this battle for the Lord. Tell us what's hindered the camp. Mm -hmm. Tell us what's hindered God's moving. 
At that point, Achan confesses and he says, in verse number 20, like we read earlier, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. They're buried there. That's right where they are. Maybe you could say, well, there's some sin going on. There's something that I did in the night. There's something that's been hindering the camp. There's something that's been hindering us spiritually. This is what I did. This is where it's at. Maybe a person would say, uh, there's a dirty magazine. I need to confess. There's a dirty magazine under my pillow back in my room. It's hidden. Maybe in my suitcase, in between some of my garments, in, the, in between the pairs of, of jeans or the skirts that I have folded up to, to play, and maybe one of the skirts that I'll be using to come up here and sing in the choir, in, in between there is this dirty picture I need to confess. I need to tell someone. I need to confess. I need to get it out. And it might not be a moral issue, dear friend. It could be something else. It could be just a thought in your mind that you've allowed to linger there. When God wants to deal with you, God wants to work with you, and you've allowed the devil to have free run. Achan confesses at that point. He said, there's something that I've done. I've coveted. I've done this. I've hid this. And so Joshua sent messengers, and they ran into the tent. And behold, it was hid in the tent and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and unto all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. They put it right out. Their sin was no longer hidden anymore. You know there's going to be a day on judgment. We're going to stand before a holy God. There's going to be a holy judgment day. Every man will give an account. Every boy, every child, every, every man, every woman. They're going to give an account for all of their deeds. They're going to give an account. Everything is going to be exposed. I had a time in my life not too long ago where I was in my place of prayer and God smote me with a message. Sin. Sin. I said, Lord, what is it? What is it? And just so clearly as I rendered myself his, his, uh, his vessel, I just said, Lord, show me what it is. Have rid of it. Get rid of it. Get it out of my life. And just as, as much as I believe it's going to be on Judgment Day, I didn't feel any angel feathers. I didn't see any light shining out of heaven, but just in my mind's eye, it was just as clear as if you'd put up a projector on that wall and start projecting images of things that happened in my life and ways I'd responded Thoughts that I had, and I was a Christian. I, I grew up in a Christian home, and I knew what a Christian was supposed to look like. I think it's sometimes to a fault that we know what Christian character is supposed to be like, and, and almost to a fault that we can kind of mimic and put on the character without really having it in the heart. And I just thought, as a Christian, you're supposed to suppress those things. <laughs> They're not approved. Don't you act like that. It's kind of like being a little kid, and when you snap back, if every time you snap back with your tongue at your parents, you get a whooping. You stop snapping back. You may still have the snap back in your heart, and God wants to take that out, but, but you hold your tongue. And there were those times where I would suppress things. There were those times when I would hold things back and, and try to suppress feelings. And there were other times when, when I'd get squeezed and it would come out. I would quickly apologize. I knew better. I knew better. There were times that God revealed to me the ways I had thought toward my brothers and sisters in Christ. Ways I had responded to my family members and most of my apologies had to be under the roof that I lived in. Most of my apologies had to be in the church that I was raised in. But God knew just very vividly everything was on the projector, so to speak. And that's the way it's going to be on Judgment Day. Everything is being recorded. Would it be as tempting to you with whatever that sin was if the devil would walk up to you? Whatever that sin is, I don't know what it is. Only you and the Lord and the devil knows what your weakness is unless you share it with someone else. If the devil would walk up to you and say, and however you imagine the devil to look like. The devil is not described a whole lot in the Bible as to what he looks like, but if you believe he's got red beady eyes and horns and a pitchfork and a tail, if he would come up to you and he would say, you want this sin? Again. You want some more? Would it be as tempting if the devil was visible there at the time that he was offering that temptation to you? I don't think it would be. Would it have been as tempting when Achan coveted that if it was before the people? Would, would it have been as tempting to Achan 
if Achan knew without a shadow of a doubt, if everything in Achan's mind, all of his thoughts were just being projected on the wall, would it be as easy? Would temptation be as easy to commit? Sin be as easy to pursue? But there's coming a day, dear friend, we must know that we're going to stand before a holy God and everything is going to be revealed. All your thoughts toward your brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever your thoughts are, criticalness, hypocrisy, gossip, those things will be revealed on the day of judgment. Even though you may not open your lips, you may not use your tongue as the devil's voice piece, but down in your heart, those things will be made known on the day of judgment. There is coming a reckoning day. Achan's sin not only cost others, but it cost his own life. It cost his soul. Let's read here in verse 24. Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, oh dear, and his daughters, oh no, his oxen, his asses, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. They raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. Let's stand. Close your eyes, bow your heads in respect of God's business. We're going to tarry just a few moments. I know I've kept you over. We're all going to get to eat. We're not going to starve to death. But there's some spiritual business that you may need to take care of. You may need to take care of it right now. You see, Achan didn't really believe that it would cost him everything. Achan believed that he could do it and get by. Achan didn't receive the full repercussions as soon as he sinned. You see, when a person takes God's name in vain, the lightning bolt doesn't come down out of heaven and strike them dead there on the spot. But there's coming a reckoning day. Why are our minds so short? Why are we so forgetful? There's coming a day when everything will be exposed. Everything will be open before the eyes of whom we have to do, the Scripture says. The Lord sees everything. He knows everything. He knows you better than you know yourself. And let me close with this question. My heads are bowed and eyes are closed and the altar is open if you need to pray. I wonder where Achan would be at that time or even now if he had only obeyed God. I wonder what testimony Achan would have if he had just obeyed God. Just done what he knew he was supposed to do. Just obeyed. I've said before, if we could take a tape recorder and go down to the pits of hell, I think we would have some stirring messages preached by those who wish they had just obeyed God. It cost him his soul. He's been burning a long time. Thousands of years by now, he's been burning in the pits of hell. He didn't really understand the repercussions. He didn't really understand. He didn't take time to read the fine print. He wasn't even aware that there was any fine print. If the devil could have his way in your mind, he'd like to trick you into thinking that there are no repercussions for sin. It's easy to trust a God that we love with all our heart. It's easy to obey a God that we love with all our heart. Let me ask you this, where would your life be right now if you had obeyed God? If you would have just obeyed God? Be sure your sin will find you out. Get your sin under the blood. I'm glad this doesn't have to be our story. 
I'm glad we can learn from Achan's experience. I hope we can. Not to take of the accursed thing. Not to try to keep sin in the camp. God makes it very clear. Right from wrong. Dear Jesus, we thank you for even this stirring message, though it may not be comfortable to our hearts right now, though it may not be easy to receive truth, it's for our overall good. It's for the good of our eternity. It's for the good of our never-dying soul that will live somewhere forever. It's for the good of our brother, our sister, our future spouse, our future sons and future daughters, everything. I pray that your sobriety would be upon these young people, not to take away their fun, not to make them fearful of the pathway that the devil has, but to open their eyes to the repercussions and also of the rewards of following you. It's not only just a dark picture. This isn't the only pathway that you have for us. We thank you, Lord, that you have a pathway of righteousness, a pathway of holiness, of peace. And even though there may be things in our past that we regret, that the future can be bright and encouraging and joyous can give a song in our heart that doesn't have to go away because we obeyed you because we follow you Lord help us to surrender our all to you and help us Lord to realize that if we disobey you it will cost our all we love you Jesus be with us as we close this service may your presence continue to deal with us and press this truth deep upon our hearts for that will give you the glory both now and throughout eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn the service over to Sister Grace.